Hello and welcome to Proper Fulonga Crisis, inspired by Alice Oseman's Heartstopper. I'm Jamie and joining me this week are Deirdre and Joe from The Rainbow Project. If you enjoy the show nearly as much as Elle enjoys tea with Tao's mum, sit on your brew and hit subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram at properfullongc, discover more about the show and our partners at properfullongacrisis.com and if you feel like sharing your own story, reach out to properfullongc at gmail.com. This is Season 1 Chapter 3 Kiss, let's meet our guests. Why don't you introduce yourselves? Um, thanks for inviting us. My name is Joe Walsh. I am the advocacy officer for the Rainbow Project. And my name is Deirdre Barry, and I am a volunteer at Family Ties, which is part of the Rainbow Project. Awesome. It's so good to have you with us. It really is. It really Thank is. You. Can you tell us a bit about uh, the Rainbow Project, Joe? Yes, certainly. Um, so the Rainbow Project is the foremost LGBTQIA plus organization in Northern Ireland. We work for, we're a health and wellbeing organization and we have um, around last count 25 members of staff across two centres. We've got a centre here in city centre Belfast and one in Foyle in, in Derry, Stroke London Derry. And between the two centres, we, we cover all of Northern Ireland. The main thing that the Rainbow Project would be known for would be our, our counselling service. That would be the largest service that we are known for. And the majority of people accessing that service at the core of their issues would normally be internalised shame, that internalised homophobia, biphobia or transphobia, whether the person knows it or not. And mostly they, they're not aware of it. Um, but just uh, to know that that support is here for you, check out our website and get in touch. It's a self-referral. The process is easy. Mm-hmm. Pick up the phone. There are staff here waiting to, to take care of you. You don't have to go through it alone. And what's the Family Ties Project? Deirdre mentioned the Family Ties Project. Yeah, it's basically a group of Joe who runs it. Myself and Anne-Marie are two mums of gay men who it's basically to help families who aren't coping with their child, whether they be gay, transgender, anything under the whole umbrella. And it's just to provide a wee bit of support for them. So it's a peer support group for for parents and family members. We advertise for parents and family members, but I think we've only ever had parents and maybe some grandparents. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's just a peer support group to give the parents that space to ask the questions that they maybe can't ask from the LGBT child that maybe wouldn't be appropriate or might be uncomfortable. So okay. it's that non-judgmental space where parents can support each other. And or if parents, they're just having a hard time or a bad day, just, you know, myself and Amory are at the end of the phone and we do regular phone calls to people who maybe are struggling. So, yeah, so we do an in-person support and we've done telephone support yeah. and we have a WhatsApp group as well for, for support as well. So um, and a Facebook page and a Facebook page. Oh, <laughs> so much. Quite busy. Yeah. Quite busy. Yeah. Do you find that the experience is for family members and for parents? Do you, do you think that it's getting a bit easier for them now versus how it would have been maybe five or ten years ago? Mm, I don't know. For LGB parents, but for, for parents of trans children, we seem to have more yeah, of, okay. of an influx recently of parents of trans children, but lesbian, gay and bisexual children, it's probably easier to come out because um, that's not such a 
a big deal as it used to be. Yeah, yeah I think. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just depending on the, the family and the situation. But we do tend to have more uh, parents with trans family members. At yes, the they'd be the majority. So they would. Yeah, Very definitely. good. Very good. Should we talk about Heartstopper? Okay. Heartstopper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were your impressions of this episode? So we're talking about, today we're talking about um, season one, chapter three, Kiss. So this is a fairly <laughs> iconic episode for people because it's the moment that Charlie and Nick kind of kiss for the first time and there's a lot yeah. that goes on in the run up to it. And what were your thoughts about this episode just generally? Like cried oh it's so sweet <laughs> yeah i think i think i cried during so, most episodes i think yeah. at the start when he was looking everything up and then he went into the conversion therapy and people being attacked yeah. and i just felt so frightened for well my son and i suppose everybody's son daughter whatever that there's still that for ideology sure. out there and he just seems so scared i uh, yeah that's right that's where we we open the show with Nick kind of browsing the internet and and looking up, um, trying to find out what it is that he's experiencing. We saw at the end of the last episode a couple of really touching moments whenever you feel that kind of chemistry grew between Nick and Charlie, and this is him at home now kind of exploring who he is and trying to figure it all out. It is quite tough for, for teens yeah. in that kind of situation, especially because Nick doesn't really have anybody that he can talk to. I think um, Heartstopper does a great a job of kind of juxtaposing this with Charlie's experience so um, Charlie's at home he's he's on his phone texting his friends talking about it in a really excited way with his kind of community and his support network but poor Nick doesn't really have anybody he can turn to and you're right he does he reads articles that are both you know positive and a bit negative and quite frightening and yeah it is it's quite a scary moment um for people it made me feel how my son must have felt whenever he first started for sure for sure what age was he whenever he came out to you can you remember he was about six, 16 17 I'd say 17 yeah and I'm sure he built up to that moment for quite some time as well that it didn't oh, just happen did. overnight he, he just came in well he must have been thinking about it for so long and he just came in one afternoon to the kitchen and burst yeah. into tears hysterical tears Really, he thought he was bisexual. So Aww. yeah, but, such a um, touching woman. It was. I just hugged him and let him know that that was absolutely fine. And Aww. then after a holiday, he decided he was actually gay. He was either <laughs> had a good think about it, or I don't know what happened. But oh, he it's came all back and he said, "So it was. You know what? Right, as long as you make you're happy and you're safe, and that that's good enough for me." Yeah, yeah, I had. I came out to, to my mum uh, many years ago. I came out first of all as bisexual, and it was kind of a, a halfway between acceptance because if you come out as gay, then you've you've crossed that bridge into possibly being rejected. So yeah. bisexuality is is kind of going halfway there, testing mm. the waters. I think for some. <laughs> yeah. <people. laughs> yeah. To see, yeah. Maybe that's what he was doing. I never thought about it like that. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting angle for sure. Yeah. Um, I was outed at school and then everybody just kind of knew, they kind of knew. So I adopted, like, I used to gay to describe myself and later then in my 20s, I realized I was bisexual. So I did it the other way around. No, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've done some, some studies um, with the Rainbow Project. We did a, a, a huge study last year called the State of the Community. And we had over a thousand recipients and um, 
the average age when someone realizes they might be LGB or T was around puberty, around 14, 13, 14. But between then and realizing that and then coming out, it was the average age was 18 or 19. Yeah. So that's after carrying that all that time as a big secret and um, no wonder he burst into tears. You yeah, know, he had himself just built up and built up. And also Ryan has Asperger's syndrome. So yeah, it takes a lot for him to express the emotion and express that. So, yeah. For sure. Um, Nick gets quite, a, he gets a wee bit upset whenever he gets his test results that he's only 62% um, homosexual. It's inconclusive, so he still doesn't really know. Um, do you think the labels are quite important for queer youth whenever they start to kind of explore this stuff that they're just trying to, is it important to help them understand who they are and what it is that they're experiencing? Yes, it's important, to, especially at that age, to be part of something and trying to figure out who you are. Once once you find a label that kind of fits, you find your your tribe and your where you belong. And at, at that age, and especially when you're still at school, it, it can be very important. Yeah. Um, labels aren't always helpful. Sometimes the more they that there are, the more that they can divide communities. But I think it, it is helpful for people searching and yeah. finding where, where they belong. Just to, it's, it's interesting that sense of belonging and finding your tribe, how important it is. Um, yeah, for sure. Last week, I met with um, Lisa and Ruin from Shout Out Ireland, and we had a, a quite a long chat about how the internet is quite a double-edged sword for people whenever they start to explore sexual identity, only because of the things that we've talked about. There's there's so much great content there now with social media and but, but equally, there's so much quite terrifying content too. So if you're interested and you'd like to hear that episode, it's definitely worth going back and having a listen. Um, I definitely recommend it. Not that I'm biased or anything, but yeah, head back and have a listen to that <laughs> if you want to hear more about it. Absolutely. Um, the next day we follow Nick into school and he looks quite troubled as the camera kind of pans out. And I think the, the soundtrack here kind of sums up how he feels, that he just feels like some other version of himself. This is a new side to Nick. He's only just realized that, that he feels this way. He's only just developed these um, feelings for Charlie. Um, and it's a bit of a surprise. Um, Harry comes up and he asks Nick how he's doing and he said he's fine, he's normal, which is quite a telling thing to say that he just wants to feel normal. Um, and he asks, um, Harry asks if he's going to go to his party on Saturday night and tells him to make, make sure he brings some cool people. Um, of course, Imogen overhears and she seizes her chance to um, ask Nick if he's going to invite her. So she is obviously has a romantic interest in Nick too. And whenever he does, you get these great little purple hearts that burst all around you, the animated purple hearts. Poor old Imogen. Imogen's one of my favourite characters. Um, I think okay. she's great. And I, as the season progresses, she turns into a really good friend to Nick. I think they're going to become yeah, really yeah. great friends in, in season two. Um, but anyway, so we pick up the storyline again whenever um, the boys are getting ready for rugby, changing for rugby practice. And um, Harry and one of the friends can be overheard talking about Nick as if he's not standing there. So they're just having this chat about Nick. And as uh, as they do, there's a lens flare that transforms into like a little gay pride rainbow shining from Charlie into Nick again. Um, so they're talking about Tara Jones, one of Nick's childhood romances. And... Uh, 
another boy announces that Nick has a thing with Imogen anyway. And whenever Nick denies it, his friend is really surprised. And he said that he has two proper fit girls that are trying to get with him and he's not even bothered. Last week, one of uh, Ruan's comments from Shout Out pointed out that sometimes really popular kids like Nick, like Nick's the captain of the rugby team, and sometimes they have um, a different experience versus kids that are kind of on the periphery of popularity. Nick's experience coming out would be a bit easier and a bit different versus somebody like Charlie. And um, But do you think moments like this where you have this heteronormative pressure where Nick's friends all assume that he's straight, they're talking about him potentially having girlfriends and um, things like that. Do you think that kind of culture makes it quite difficult for somebody in Nick's position to take that step and come out and tell his friends who he is? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, he's been held up as a part of the heteronormative culture. He's been held up as the hero. And then he has to make a decision at that point because he's been put on the spot. Do I stay in the closet do, or do I declare um, what I really am and at that point he doesn't really know 100% that's he, it your way so um, that would be extra pressure you know does, does he stay in the closet or does he take that chance so it's, it's extra pressure on him to figure out quickly who he is in, in that moment for sure which is probably changing from moment to moment as well in this teenage brain <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, certainly not an easy situation Absolutely. Um, For sure. And we feel Charlie's awkwardness too. Like they're having this conversation with Nick and Nick says, I think he says maybe or something like kind of unremarkable, but to Charlie, it's a bit devastating. You know, this is the boy that Charlie crushes on and he's been so flirty with and it does. In that moment, it is quite awkward for Charlie. And we see that there's like another little rainbow lens flare in the camera, like one of those little lens flares, but actually the colors are really muted and dull. Like if you watch back, so it's like, it's almost like it's robbed him of a little bit of his queerness. You know what I mean? It's sad. Yeah, notice that. Okay. Yeah, surprising. Yeah. Like if you've watched it as often as I have, you pick up on all kinds of details. Because he is so popular, he has then the power to bring bisexuality and make it cool. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, happening. Um, but yeah, that's a, a lot of responsibility. It's a big step, you know, yes. it's a big step. And I think that um, later on in the season, I think it's around episode six, maybe, or episode seven, where he meets with Imogen in the park to kind of tell her why he didn't go on their dinner date with the, like he'd set up a dinner date and then cancelled. And he kind of alludes to that by saying that, you know, he's he feels like he's in a place where he doesn't want to let people down and he just goes along with things because... Um, it's what they expect of him and he doesn't want to surprise people and, and things like that. So it's really difficult. You really do feel, you know, Nick's pain in those kind of moments. Um, it is a lot of pressure for somebody to carry around with them. Um, the next day we see that um, Charlie, Nick invites Charlie to um, Harry's party and Charlie reluctantly agrees to go. It's not something that he would normally do, go to one of the cool kids parties. And at home night that night, we see again this really exciting moment for Charlie where he's texting his friends, telling him about how he's going to this party with Nick. And he gets quite a mixed response um, from his friends. Like Elle is really excited, but Tao is a bit annoyed and gets a bit angry because um, it was supposed to be a movie night that they planned and Charlie's breaking the plans now. Tao does go on a bit of a journey in Heartstopper. I know I've commented on it in previous episodes where he's kind of trying to manage change and why don't we talk about Tao and Elle for a little minute. So 
Okay. Tao, yep. Tao and Elle get some good quality screen time in this in this episode too. Um, around movie night, so they get together in Tao's house for movie night, and Elle gets Elle is greeted really warmly with real warmth and enthusiasm from Tao's mom. Tao's mom is one of my favorite Heartstopper parents. She's yeah. so nice, such an amazing ally. Mm-hmm. She's just so excited to see her, and she asks how things are in her new school and. You know, it's really great. Tao even jokes that his mum likes Elle more than he does. Do you think that, (laughs) is it quite common for queer kids to find allies like Tao's mum in these kind of surprising places? I think it is. And there's not much representation of it because that side of it doesn't bring the drama. Yeah. I think there's more drama when you show a parent who is putting the child out on the street. You know, that's that's where the, the, the drama value is. But I think more, it's more common that there are um, allies around, especially for teenagers. We have a kid in the group who, whose mum is very supportive, but he is so, or they, sorry, are so attached to another mum and they're really, really good bodies. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, but again, you know, their mum is so, so supportive and lovely and is part of the group as well and great but there's just a I don't know there's some wee magic chemistry there yeah there's like a protective instinct there from parents because they they know how difficult it is for LGBT children to be in in this world so there's that protective instinct I think it kicks in and they they just have to mother them and <laughs> yeah. take, take care of them and, and make them feel valued. I'm one of those mothers up there anyway. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. She even does it with me. I do, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm 47. I know, it's when I change the stuff. I was food at dinner and all, but he's all right. Funny, <laughs> funny. Tao, like, this is a really touching moment for Tao and Elle. I think, you know, we really get to see just kind of like in the past couple of episodes, we've seen Charlie and Elle or Charlie, sorry, and Nick fall in love in these moments. We get to see the start of that happening with Tao and Elle too. Um, so whenever they're upstairs, they're kind of um, discussing what movie to watch. Um, Tao starts to open up to Elle about how he worries that Charlie's changing and um, how he's gone to one of Rich Boy Harry Harry's parties and that Nick has stolen him. Yeah, he feels like he's losing a friend. Yeah, yeah, that's it. As the night progresses, he apologizes for making things a bit weird, and we get quite a touching moment when he tells Elle about how he bought her apple juice for the first few days, um, at the start of the term, that and that he just wants things to be back the way that they were with the four of them, the way you know him and uh, him and Isaac and Elle and Charlie. Elle comments that sometimes change is a good thing, and that um, Harry's party isn't really that bad. That she has friends that go there, that are there too. Um, it just uh, that that scene just really struck a chord with me, and it reminded me of how our friends and families have to go on a journey of their own whenever we whenever they come out. Um, how are their journeys a bit different to the journeys of queer people? Well, they they can feel sometimes like they're losing a friend. Also, they can feel that they have been lied to when someone comes yeah. out. Uh, they feel, why did you not tell me this before? You know, they're seeing another side to that person, and particularly parents, um, it's usually sprung on the parents. The young person has had sometimes years to think about this and not over in their head, and parents have five minutes to get up to speed. Or <laughs> That's it. That's a, a, lot, a lot of the mums in the group will say, or the mums and dads will say, 
oh, I called such and such by the wrong name or, you know, the wrong pronoun or whatever. And we just say, give yourself a break. They've known about this for years. You've known about it a couple of weeks and whatever. Definitely. You're only human. You've known this child as one name for so long. And then now they want to all of a sudden change it. And I do think kids from my personal experience and kids I know, children in school especially like secondary grammar school age they just accept it like that you know a lot of them I know obviously there's problems but they just are so much but I think it's older generation when I remember when Ryan first came out that my mom was like don't put a label on him don't put a label on him and I'm like but this is what he says he is and you know I, I don't know I just think they don't understand it and they don't and he's their first suppose he's their first grandson and you know, I, I don't know all the different reasons, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I think older people struggle more. Yeah. And parents have your, your life planned out for you from from the day you're conceived. They're picturing you walking up the aisle and having children and whatever. And when that doesn't happen, it, it can be difficult. And some of the parents, not very many, but sometimes parents have described a bit of a grieving process of particularly if it's a trans young person. So they they felt, um, you know, I've had a daughter for so many years and now they're wanting me to to acknowledge them as a son. And, you know, I've had so many plans for them and now it's all very different. So um, there can be a bit of a process there of adapting and new pronouns and new name and and things like that. Almost a new a, a new person, but... Um, and yeah. it, it can be difficult for friends as well, particularly male uh, friends if someone comes out as gay or bisexual and then they have a partner and they've got a heterosexual male friend. There's a bit of a competition there. How do you compete with someone who's their partner? You know, what happens if they don't get on? Um, the way Tao was, he felt like he was kind of um, in competition and trying to look out for, for Charlie. Yeah, okay. That's, that's interesting. Everybody in the boxes, they can, you know, you can still have different friends, different groups of friends for different things. If there are families out there who wanted to build stronger relationships with each other, so maybe like the parents of queer people who want to form stronger relationships with their kids or equally kids who want to do that with their parents, what's the best thing for them to do to kind of start that process? Um, Just to, to learn about what whatever the situation is, if the child is gay or trans or bisexual just to learn about what that what that means and what that means to the child and then um they can start exploring that together children are not always comfortable talking about it so they may not get very much information from the young person because who who wants to talk to their parents about the sex life especially at the teenage my son There's exceptions to everything. Yeah. I know things a mother shouldn't know. Where's a good place for them to kind of to start to look for that information? Well, um, the Rainbow Project website is is quite comprehensive. There's also Car Friend, um, Stonewall, plenty of information out there. But come along to the Family Ties group. We'll give that space. I was going to say, an awful lot of families have made, you know, friendships that and do meet up and people that live in the and you know because we have people that travel from down south so i mean it, it's 
you know, people who meet, say, if you live in Portadown, you know, a few people meet together in Portadown, or a few people meet down Macrofelt or yeah. whatever. I mean, there's over 100 families now. Wow, so, that's huge. That's yeah. huge. I didn't realize it was so big. What are some of the things that, that you do in your group that supports people through that journey? Well, we have the experienced parents who have been, been with us for a while and have been yeah. through the process, and they will support the parents who are new to, to this experience. Um, so it's the value of that. And also the the family meetups. We have 10 meetings per year. Five of those would be for parents only. Yeah. And five of them would be family meetups. And that's where the families come and um, it, it normalizes their family because they get to see other families just like theirs. And, and a lot um, of friendships have been made yes. and amongst a lot of the children as well. Yes. At one point there was a WhatsApp group for the kids, but I'm not sure what happened with all that. But um, parents definitely, you know, organize things outside, family ties, segments yeah. they're going, you know, especially for trans children, that's very difficult. So, you know, that wee bit of support is very handy. Are those kind of experiences and even just the knowledge that there are other families that are similar to them and going through the same things and um, having the opportunity to share those experiences with each other, is that an important part of what you do? Yes, it yeah. is so impactful. I mean, so, some families have come to us for one session and they've got what they needed mm-hmm. from that one session. They've got what they needed and they moved on and then other families have stayed with us. But the feedback from the young people, it has been transformative. We have seen young people yeah. go from talking about um, suicidal ideation and self-harm yeah. through to um, looking forward to picking out their new uniform for starting school. So it has it has transformed people just by the power of being together in that. Kids that hadn't been to school for a year and a half. Yeah. Going again. Yeah, wow. It's it so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, to feeling Love like that confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the children actually aren't children. <laughs> Some of the children are adults. Yep. Whose yeah. parent is coming to get a bit of support. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It is fascinating how it all kind of fits together, isn't it? Um yes. as queer people, is is there anything that we can do as, as queer people to kind of support our families through that journey? Or or is it something that they kind of have to do on their own? Um, yeah, because as queer people, when we come out, it's it's a bit selfish. It's all about us. <laughs> We're the ones that are coming out. And <laughs> we tend not to think so much about what other people yeah. are experiencing. We're, we're expecting them just to um, let us know how they feel about it. And we tend not to give them a lot of time. We're just, I'm I'm gay. So you're either on board with it or, or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we probably give the, our families and, and allies and friends maybe enough, enough time enough time yeah. to adapt. Time's important too. Time is time's important. Um, just to give them a chance to kind of process what's happening. And even if they, I think sometimes even if you don't get a positive first response, it's important to remember that over time that's going to change. You know, it just sometimes it just takes a bit of time and a bit of space for people to gather their thoughts and, you know, really reflect internally. Yeah. Yes, because it means different things to different people. Because I can remember coming out to my my family, and one of my sisters asked, "Does that does that mean that you were are going to start wearing dresses, women's clothes?" Okay. <laughs> oh, 
And that's what be, she thought being gay meant, that I wanted to be a woman. So uh, we can't assume just by coming out and telling someone that you're gay, that they're going to know exactly what that means, what the, the same as what you think it means. That's another really interesting point that as queer people who kind of come across this, uh, you know, even if it's if it's something we're always kind of aware of or if it comes on us as a bit of a surprise, we do have that moment where we kind of get to explore it and come to understand it before we tell anybody about it. Whereas uh, straight family members may have never thought about what queer culture is like or what all these different labels mean. Um, so I guess there, there might be an assumption that they already know whenever you come out to them and you tell them about yourself that they already understand what it is, but that may not be the case. Yes, and we are also lucky in, in the queer community in a way that we have we are forced at some point to look at ourselves on a certain level and explore ourselves on a very deep level and then to live an authentic life after that, after that coming yeah. out experience. But in, in our heterosexual in for heterosexual people here they don't have anything like that in in our culture and um some heterosexual people can go from birth to death without having examined themselves on that level or in that way so um i think we need something the equivalent for heterosexual people to relationships to my son that he just goes you straights are just so complicated <laughs> that's hilarious so, that's yes. so funny oh. I know it's oh. interesting to think of it in that kind of context. I think it was Lisa made that point too, that as queer people, we're actually quite fortunate that we get to do this. And and Ruan said that, you know, to take your time and enjoy it, that it isn't an experience that everybody has, that you get to reflect and think about yourself and, and, and you know, explore who you are and the way that queer people do, um, straight people don't get that chance. Um, so, yeah, it is. It's really interesting to think about it like that. Should we move on and chat about Nick and Charlie? Yes. So we'll chat about the party. So Charlie gets dropped off at the party by his dad and um, he's told that if he needs him just to give him a call, Charlie's dad's really supportive. He's a great oh, character. I cried at that as well. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pattern here. I know, funny. <laughs> the entire party is bathed in the colours of the um, bisexual pride flag, which is a really nice touch. Charlie and Nick see each other from across the dance floor and they almost embrace whenever they meet, but they stop themselves um, and they're just so happy to see each other. And they find a yeah. blue sofa in the corner and they seem to be chatting just about their past, the kind of things that you normally chat about whenever you first start in a relationship with somebody. And um, Harry arrives, interrupting them with a large group of his yeah. friends who gather around Nick and Charlie on the sofa. Harry has some news that Tara Jones is there and he looks really confused when Nick asks, so what? Harry tells him that he, it's his second big chance with Tara. Like Harry seems to be really engaged in, in Nick getting this, getting a relationship or forming a relationship with Tara. I don't know why he's so transfixed yes. by it. But he leads Nick away under protest and Charlie starts to follow, but he stops himself and he feels a bit awkward then whenever he sees t- um, Tara and Nick start to chat. So Nick apologizes for his friends trying to set them up. And Tara replies that it could have all been avoided if she had have just told people that she was a lesbian. And she points out Darcy, her girlfriend, just behind her. And they don't want to make a big announcement. They're just gonna, they're just not gonna hide so much. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what really struck me about this exchange and this conversation is Tara's comment about how the situation could have been avoided if she if she had um, come out and told everybody that she was lesbian. But that's actually a comment on heteronormative culture. What she's really saying, or what I think the comment actually is, is that it all could have been avoided had everybody not just assumed that she's straight, which is what we see all the time in in these kind of situations. People just assume straightness. Do you think we'll ever get to a place where it isn't just assumed that everybody's straight? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sad times. Yeah, maybe in the future it it won't be... uh... As important, I think we we are heading towards that, uh, more more so maybe in um, parts of America and European culture. It's starting to become like that. Yeah. But as always, Northern Ireland, we're mm-hmm. usually dragging a wee bit behind, and I think we're still a wee bit, <laughs> we've still a wee bit yeah. to go here. Um, in, in terms of being okay, everyone being okay with with that in our culture, but cul- cultural changes can sometimes take very long time, and then sometimes there can be one event or one incident or just the right person who is very popular that can change things and transform culture and society so maybe we're just waiting for that right uh, that moment moment of of affecting change um don't think it's going to be me (laughs) (laughs) it is it's it's one that i experience quite a lot because i'm pansexual and i have kids so almost everybody assumes that i'm straight whenever they first meet me because i've got kids and it just it doesn't feel very good but i guess it's something that we all have to live with at some point or other to uh, continuously come out yeah the, a lot yeah, of different situations no, for but sure see, like, yeah coming out is not just a single event you don't just put, do a facebook post and that's it no. it's, it's continual depending on new job every new job every new friends that you make that's right uh, every new situation uh, particularly for bisexual people Yeah, that's right. I find that, yeah, definitely. Um, And it can be quite casual where you just introduce a partner or you make a comment about a partner and, but it's still, people don't always pick up on it. You know what I mean? It's, it is, it's just one of those things that you constantly have to do. You know, coming out has changed a lot, I think, because it's no longer this one big dramatic moment. It is very, it can be very casual and, and everything else, but it's still, it still happens a lot. It still happens a lot. I try to feel less awkward about it now and just relish in their awkwardness whenever they suddenly realise that. <laughs> that, that is... You know, find it frustrating that you have to come out. You know, I mean, straight people well, don't come out. Well, I'm straight, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. And... It just should be normal. It, it shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't be an issue. It's and in a way, that's kind of what I are. do. I Like, I don't make a point of coming out to people anymore. Like, if we get onto the subject of it, then I'll I'll talk about it in kind of a roundabout way. Like, there was a recent example when I was talking to a colleague and work about, um, I can't remember what it was about, and I just made a comment about how their views were very heteronormative, and that kind of led into a conversation about heteronormative culture. And yeah. I come out during conversation or you're talking about a partner you're talking about it's just that's it yeah. that's it exactly nick looks really happy as he turns to look for charlie and sadly charlie isn't there nick tries to leave to find charlie and harry confronts him about why he hangs up out with charlie um he asks nick if he feels sorry for him because he's gay 
and he laughs and asks if he thinks that Charlie has a crush on him. Nick tells him that um, he's being homophobic and that he really doesn't like him. Um, And in this moment, Harry is being really homophobic, although it's quite a passive, casual form of homophobia. It's definitely a homophobic joke that he's making. Is this kind of casual, almost passive homophobia on the rise? Um, Yeah, I think it goes through fashions. Sometimes it it rises and then it it fades away again. I mean, I, I was a youth worker in Belfast for many years and um, God help the teachers because um, we, we were trying to challenge the use of the word gay as I mean as being used in schools to mean anything that's broken, damaged, uncool that you don't want to be anywhere near. And um, if you were to try and challenge that as a teacher, even as a youth worker, you would be there all day and it would be the only thing that you were doing. When it's ingrained in the culture, um, now that did feel fall away for a bit there. But apparently it's it's back on the rise. So I think these things go through fashions. I've heard recently kids going, oh, you're a fruit or you're gay or whatever. And you're like, why is up to yourself? Yes. But uh, you understand too, they're only kids and they don't really understand. But what they're the saying. Time, it shouldn't be said as a derogatory thing. Yes. And sometimes it's just provoke a reaction because um, yeah. it's, it's an easy way to, to, to provoke a reaction and test the boundaries as well. It's so interesting that you make that point because Ruan said the same about school workshops that they do across um, the Republic of Ireland. And she said that they've seen a real resurgence in that too. So it's just, it's interesting that it affects, you know, across the island. It isn't just isolated schools or these singular places. It's, I wonder what it is that drives it. Do you think it's on social media or TikTok or, you know, where do you think it is that these kids are picking it up? I don't know. It's just okay. memes that travel around yeah. as part of their language, you know, yeah. and words, words can be reclaimed, you know, it would be probably a bit of work, but if you were to do it in the right way, you could reclaim the word gay to mean positive things. In the same way say, that we've reclaimed queer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, just in the same way. Um, and it, it'll, it'll be just like a, a meme and a fashion. It will go in and out of, yeah. of fashion. Just and it depends on the reaction that it gets. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, Harry seems really embarrassed whenever Nick calls him homophobic. Um, he seems a bit surprised. Like he's, he kind of takes his breath away that, that, you know, Nick has called him this. Do you think that there's growing stigma around being called a homophobe in, in our culture? Yeah, I think so. It's um, like being called a racist. It's like yes. it can be breathtaking. Nobody wants to have that that label, but they still want to get away with with saying, um, "I'm not homophobic." But <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but yes, there there is a bit of a stigma when it when it's called out. When what you're saying is called out as something, then it can it can be shocking because a lot of people are not conscious of it. They think they're just a certain an opinion and they're just they're starting a, a popular opinion. But it's just it's banter. Out, I think Harry yeah. says in this case, it's just a bit of banter. Yeah. Yes. But earlier on in the episode, I remember hearing Harry call Charlie she. And oh, thought, really? I didn't. Yes. I didn't notice that. Oh, oh my goodness! They rewatch episodes. Right? I'm nearly, <laughs> yeah. I'm nearly sure I heard that that when they were outside the school, he said, "What, what are you setting my heart her for?" Or she, it was something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he is, but could possibly that be masking Harry's own sexuality? It could be. Mm. It could be. We did talk about what causes homophobia in the last episode too. I think Lisa spoke oh, quite eloquently right. on on that, and she said. And um, that sometimes it's people get um, 
whenever people are out and they're confident about it, it just makes them feel insecure that they can't, um, that they haven't been able to express that part of their personality themselves. I can't remember exactly what she said. I'm just kind of fluffing it, but yeah, go back and have a listen. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. It really is fascinating. We join Charlie now looking really unhappy. He's a bit lost as he walks through the hotel and Ben passes and they brush shoulders and Charlie apologize and apologizes. And as he turns around, he's surprised and he can't, he's surprised to see Ben and he can't really speak. And Ben says hello and apologizes for what happened. But he asks Charlie if he's finished sulking about it. Like what a passive aggressive thing to say to apologize in one breath and then say something really Uh offensive in the next. Um, when Charlie walks away, Ben tries to grab his arm and Charlie shoves him against the wall and tells him not to touch him um, and then and then walks away himself. Do you think that this moment for Charlie is an important one, that he's able to stand up to Ben and um, and kind of fight his own corner? Yes, he was kind of under the spell of, of, of Ben and it was his only relationship at the time. So yeah. st- to be able to stand up to him, was it was a really big thing it was um him asserting his independence and um his relationship uh with him was over so it was kind of drawing that line i'm i have changed and i'm no longer able to be bossed around and be controlled by you and i'm done with the secrecy Mm-hmm. For sure. It did feel like that kind of important milestone where he's got this newfound confidence and he's able to kind of stand up like it was a really nice moment. We join Nick again as he's kind of on the search for Charlie. There are seven. There, there are a few quite important moments for Nick as he's trying to find Charlie at the at the party. In one very quick but quite symbolic moment, he's standing overlooking the dance floor. Um, so he's lit from below. He's got quite a dark silhouette and the dance floor below him is lit in the colours again of, by the colours of the bisexual pride. So he's literally standing looking down at his future as a bisexual, like this big party down below. Um, and then um, there's a moment whenever he actually goes down into the party and he spots um, Tara and Darcy on the dance floor, both look incredibly happy and behind them, the walls are lit in blue and yellow. Um, when the music reach a cres- reaches a crescendo or crescendo, um, the crowd parts and Nick watches as the pair stop dancing and we see Tara consent to a kiss and they kiss. Um, it happens really quickly, but I'm really glad that they included that moment where Tara consented. I don't know if you noticed it, but um, just before they kiss, she kind of nods her head. They stop and look at each other and she nods. Um, do you think that it's important that conversations about consent are happening with youth, today's youth? Yes, um, there wasn't much con- awareness of consent back in the no, day. Um, no. Certainly, I, I wasn't very much aware of it. And um, we have seen recent advertising campaigns with uh, consent and universities have been big into um, promoting consent as well. I think it is important, particularly for young people, to make sure that they are not in situations that they don't want to be in. And that they ha- you have the consent of the person to make sure um, you're on the se- both on the same page. Definitely that it isn't just assumed. I saw recently, I think it, I, I was linked to it through LGBT Youth Scotland on their page. They had a link. It's a campaign that they worked on with NHS Scotland around consent called Awkward Moments. If you're interested, you should definitely check it out. It's awkwardmoments.co.uk. But yeah, definitely I'm glad that they included that moment in the show. I think that was quite important. Although it's very quick, it's definitely there. But even through not 
wanting to or not to not meaning to overstep the mark you know i mean again my son is asperger's he doesn't really understand body language or yeah so that's you know that's why i have to constantly stay you know say to him about just be so careful don't do this don't do that don't you know yeah so it's not always deliberate sometimes it's no absolutely not yeah, absolutely. Um, and in this moment, I think the consent is more around Tara's comfort in kissing in that kind of social situation where they're surrounded by their peers. So it's more about consent in the environment rather than consent for the, the kiss yeah, to happen. I think if- we were just saying, sort it, let's tell everybody that, you know, <laughs> I think that was it. Yeah. I thought that was what the moment meant. Yeah. 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 Oh, it is definitely. Yeah, for- that is definitely what it means. Because um, sometimes as a same-sex kiss can be seen as a political act or yeah. um, a deliberately provocative thing to do, to be doing. I can remember a lot of years ago, me and my partner stepped onto a dance floor and were, it was a slow song. And within seconds, we were surrounded. Every The dance floor cleared and we were surrounded <laughs> by a ring of, of viewers and onlookers. Oh my goodness. <laughs> horrified that we were standing dancing oh in the middle. Oh my goodness. Because we were we were the only same-sex couple there and that felt like a, a political statement and that wasn't yeah. so long ago. It's all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Was it not super awkward? What did you do? Did you guys continue to dance? Like, what yep. did you do? It was super awkward, but we, we continued to dance and then we just edged off to the side and then the people gradually started to come back. But it was the fact that it happened in the first place was just... Oh, my goodness. I don't know what I would have done in that situation. That's It sounds horrifying. My God. Everybody just kind of forms a ring around you. It's like, what is happening? Yes. It was like the we were the freaks in the middle. And <laughs> you know, not long after that as well, we, we were ejected from a bar because we kissed. On the, we no kissed way. on the Yes, yes, um, I am that old. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we kissed on the lips and a heterosexual couple complained to the bouncer and we, we were asked to leave. Ridiculous. Oh my goodness, that um, is absolutely, I hope that wasn't recent, I hope that was a long time ago. That was about 20 years ago. Uh, it just shows how much culture has changed now. Well, it is very, yes. it is recent, it is recent history, but at yeah. least it's not like two weeks ago in the centre of Belfast, you know what I mean? That wouldn't have been good. <laughs> no, thankfully not. <laughs> um, as they kiss, the strobe light turns blue and yellow first, and then everything comes to light with the, the colours of the pride flag. It's just a lovely little animation, that one, you know, yeah. um, and confetti starts to fall and, you know, the camera cuts to Nick and he just looks so happy in this moment where he's, he gets to be part of this to witness it. Um, and then it cuts back to Tara and Darcy and um, yeah, they kiss again. And it's just a really lovely moment. Seeing two queer friends kiss in front of a room full of peers seems like quite an important moment for Nick, especially because nobody really seems to notice or nobody really seems to care amongst their friend group. Um, oh, do you think okay. that seeing things like this uh, makes, a di- makes a big difference for queer youth who still might be trying to figure themselves out? Absolutely, yes, because they rarely see themselves represented in in uh, real life yeah. so when, you, when you do see it it's, it's, it's quite um, good especially if nobody is reacting negatively around it and kind of normalizes it then it, it takes out that fear of yeah for sure can I, can I be who I am in this situation this must give such confidence 
Definitely, yeah. for sure. So Nick goes off to find Charlie and he's on a big yellow sofa and Nick uh, asks him about why he left, where he went off to. Um, Charlie tells him that his friends were really intimidating um, and that actually while he was gone, he bumped into Ben. Um, Nick looks really terrified for a moment and then relieved whenever Charlie tells him that he dealt with it. And then they go off somewhere quieter and Nick leads him hand in hand through the crowd. They're not being very discreet, these guys, for sure. Um, no, I should <laughs> exactly. I know it's so lovely. They race through the hotel, and um, the spaces that they pass through are washed with blue and yellow, as well as the colors of the bisexual pride flag. Um, and then they arrive into this really lovely room, um, where they sit in front of the window and they have a chat about um Tara. So Charlie wants to ask Nick about Tara, which is quite a brave thing to do. He asks if if Harry was being serious that Nick likes him and if he has a crush on anyone. It's a really touching moment the way this scene plays out. So Charlie asks if he would ever go out with someone who wasn't a girl and then if he would ever kiss someone who wasn't a girl. And then whenever Nick says that he doesn't know, Charlie reaches out with his little finger and kind of brushes Nick's little mm-hmm. finger. And, you know, it's such a lovely romantic moment. And then whenever Charlie asks if he would ever kiss him, he nods yes. And they kiss then in the end, they they share a kiss. The show has spent a few episodes, the past few episodes, building the audience up for this moment and when they kiss for the first time. But it's really bittersweet the way that, uh, that Charlie responds and how it plays out over the next kind of few minutes and then into the next episode. Do you think that the production team um, approached this in the right way? Um. It's hard to say. I my nerves were wrecked because I thought for oh, sure no. <laughs> somebody's gonna come the the bullies are gonna come bursting in through that door and all hell will break loose and there'll be the homophobia and, and I was glad that that didn't happen. Um but I suppose it, it was just yeah. a way to, to get drama out of that situation. Um for sure. It's like a straight relationship too. Maybe you just don't know until you know, maybe it you're happens. not sure about something and yeah, I mean it's normal. That's a, a normal I know relationship. that's it. Charlie asks Nick if he's okay and he begins to answer, but he's interrupted by Harry shouting Nick's name from outside in the hallway. Um, Nick jumps up suddenly and he makes eye contact with Charlie, but he leaves then without speaking, like he doesn't say anything, he just kind of walks off. After Nick leaves, we kind of stay with Charlie for a moment and he catches his breath, but lowers his head and his hands. And, you know, you can see that he's he's a bit upset by what's happened. Bittersweet, yeah. as I said, that Charlie carries a lot of trauma from his past. And, you know, you see how that affects his confidence and how he responds here. Um, in the hallway outside, we um, visit Harry and his friends who um, Nick has gone to chat to. In this moment, the... The scene is flooded with a really cold blue light, again, blue representing that kind of heteronormative culture. Um, Harry's trying to justify his homophobic comments earlier, calling it banter, and he tells Nick that there's no need to start anything just because Nick's in a bad mood. So Nick just wants to get rid of Harry so he can get back to Charlie, and he heads back then um, to Charlie, and sadly, Charlie's left. He's away. He's away. Yes, he's gone. Um, And we move outside to Charlie being picked up by his dad. Charlie's really upset about what happened, so he gets into the car and he has a wee cry. It's such a sad moment, this moment in the show. Yeah. I'm not I'm going to say I cried, but I did. Yeah, I cried. <laughs> I know it really is. Um, Not like me to cry, I know. But anyway. <laughs> 
Um, uh, his, it's lovely to see the, the daddy, the father yeah, being supportive. I think that's it, and, yes. You're yeah. used to having the mummy and the mummy bearer and taking, but to have yeah. a dad being so supportive and I show his emotion and that is just lovely. It really was lovely how that scene was was played how that scene played out. Um so Charlie's Charlie's dad embraces him and tells him that um that he he has him, that it's gonna be okay. It's a really emotional moment, you know, as she said. I love that they did take this approach with Charlie's dad and turned him into this really supportive um character in the show rather than a typical dad media trope that's often played out for the fathers yeah. of queer kids. Um why do you yeah, why do you think that the media takes that stance where they portray queer parents as um, being that kind of macho parent who often rejects their queer child? Well, sometimes it does exist, but it's it's just where the drama is. There's there's not much drama when the the father is supportive. There's there's tears. No. <laughs> yeah, so it's different a different kind of. It's of, fathers of generally in movies are seen as big, tough, whatever the strong. Yeah. The, you know the provider for the family and whatever and yeah which isn't very realistic in this day and it's age. just stereotype typing i think yeah yeah based on what has always worked that's it i mean it took, my, it took my son about six years to tell his dad after he told me really he was terrified of his dad's reaction yeah oh my goodness but he wasn't being the son that his dad wanted who like played football or did this or did that or you know yeah yeah i can see why that must be hard dads get a bad reputation you know with negative reaction all the time but that's thankfully not always the way it is but masculinity can be fragile for men and when it's anything that challenges it it can then result in um, aggressive behavior and even passive aggressive behavior yeah thankfully my son's dad and his fiance they were together with my daughter went with my son to tell them and the two of them just went okay you know i think they sussed it out anyway but so it all ended very well and my son was so chuffed but he's not the most still he doesn't really talk about it with them or wouldn't you know any clubs or anything he's involved in or his nights out or whatever he wouldn't ask him anything about that so uh, he doesn't show much of an interest in no no definitely not but he knows and that's what's important to Ryan yeah for sure for sure mm-hmm. before your son came out did you have any inclination that he might be that he might be gay or bisexual 50 50 I, I, I sort of sussed it you know I caught him a couple of times when he was younger looking at you know porn and all the usual stuff <laughs> and, you know I suppose if he's trying to mask something I don't know he got this laptop taken off and put that way um <laughs> but um it, it, it wouldn't it didn't shock me in the slightest I, yeah. I, I just thought possibly but you know there's a couple of girls in work and their sons are gay and they say they knew from they were very 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 young so and I, I wouldn't yeah. have known from when he was very young but mid-teens yes kind of yeah 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 mm-hmm. it is funny how people kind of find it at different points in their life like some queer kids grew up and they 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 always remember having like a knowledge of it although they maybe didn't understand it there was always like an awareness um but some kids are a bit surprised you know that's it my cousin is mid-40s and i remember him constantly when he was younger playing with girls toys and this and i know that's fine nowadays but Back then, say my cousin would be in his mid to late forties now, 
So it was quite, you know, good, you know, what what's he doing type of thing. And mm. you know, he's with his he's married to his husband now about 15 years and they're very, very happy. So for sure. Yeah. If, what would you say, like if there are parents out there who maybe suspect that their kids might be queer, would you have any advice for them or any tips of the best way to prepare a stage for that that person to potentially come out? Um, it's, it can be difficult. I mean, my own mum asked me twice if I was gay and I I denied it. Yeah. I wasn't, and I just wasn't ready to, to tell her, you know, even though I was, I was a very effeminate teenager. And when I come out, I, I asked one of my uh, female friends if I could sit in the company of her boyfriend so that I could imitate their body language and their their masculinity yeah. to cover up the fact that I was gay. So they they may not be ready to talk about it, but um, just to create that space for when they are ready and give them an indication of that they're open to that kind of discussion by maybe bringing up something like Heartstoppers or some TV program or, or um, so, something to indicate that they're open to having the discussion. And- I, I- Sorry, I know somebody else, Justin, this is a, a disaster waiting to happen where she suspects her 14, nearly 15-year-old is, but she doesn't know. And the, she just has a, a gut feeling, but they will tease him and be like, you know, oh, really? whatever. And I just think, why would you do that? Why just let the child, he's a very quiet, deep, deep child anyway. Let him, you know, come out. Don't be Give calm. Give them a bit of space. Man. Yeah. And they think they're only teasing and it's only banter, but I just think that must just be putting layers and layers and layers on that child's head. And, just making you know, him feel a bit anxious, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She would, that's the worst part. She wouldn't care less if he was. But they're just a, a teasy, slaggy sort of family and that's it. And But I just don't think it's the right way of handling it personally. If there are parents out there who want to become real champions for their queer kids, like what's the best way for them to get involved and be supportive and, you know, go from that kind of passive parent who is accepting of their child to being like a real champion in their lives? Um, they can come to family ties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the Rainbow Project and, yeah. um, and bring, the, bring their children. Bring their children and, yeah, I think just, and be um, there for other families then if they're great yeah. and they want to be so you know this is brilliant and whatever you know help help out and help with the other families yeah, yeah and, and spread it around yeah um yeah just just so, uh source the the support that's out there for the young yeah. people mm-hmm. and and let them know about it just so that they can because that's how um, I got involved with family ties. It was Ryan wanted to become more involved in the community and I set up a meeting with Joe here and Somehow you talk me into all this. <laughs> but, four years later. <laughs> four years later but yeah. Um, yeah, so because I was so okay with it, and you know, and it's, it is nice to be able to help, especially when you see some of the success stories. Was it, were you quite nervous the first time you picked up the Fund of the Rainbow Project? Like, what did that feel like? I was more, no, it wasn't nervous. I just wanted, because Ryan has social issues anyway, and I wanted him to be caught, I just wanted to see what was out there for him. But no, personally, I wasn't nervous. I think he's more nervous. And he, yeah. even as now, he's recently joined an all-inclusive Gaelic team. And Oh, very he, good. He's, yeah, he's, he's quite nervous. But there seems to be a good wee social life with 
with it and he'll go out maybe the odd Saturday night and which has wrecked my nerves. But anyway, what can you do? <laughs> yeah. I, my daughter lives in England and she'd tell me, Mom, I'm going to America. And I'd be like, I have to have a great time, love. Whereas Ryan's going to Belfast City Centre and I think he's going to get murdered. So <laughs> I'm a bit of a protective mama bear, but what can you do? But yes, yeah. that, I find Rainbow was brilliant and they provided Ryan with an awful lot of support that he needed. And then I say getting involved in family ties and that's just been great. Oh, that's good. It sounds awesome. It does. It sounds really good. What does your son think of it all? Like, what does your what's your son? What does your son think of your involvement with the Rainbow Project? He loves it. He absolutely loves it. He he really really does. He thinks it's great. Um, I don't know. He's just used to it now, and he's you know when he go to your meetings, your ex meetings, whenever else. So um, yeah, yeah. But you know, he really really likes it. Yeah. I asked my son, was it okay to use his name? And he was like, yes, you can use my first hand last name. He was like, <laughs> I'm not going to say my son, Ryan. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, just to close out the episode, I guess we see Charlie there that night. He's um, almost closed in on his childhood a wee bit. We see him in bed cuddling his little teddy bear from whenever he was younger. Yeah. He wakes the next day to see that there's no message from Nick. And uh, he goes off to brush his teeth and the doorbell rings and um, it's Nick just standing on the doorstep, completely drenched in another little uh, touching moment for the two. He's wearing the same blue hoodie that he lent Charlie in episode two whenever they had their snow day. Um, oh, and that yeah. is where we leave the show. That's where the show ends. That with was Nick a on the four doorstep. weddings and a funeral moment. <laughs> oh, it definitely was. It That's definitely the first was. thing I thought of. That's what <laughs> That kind of moment where you're on the doorstep kind of plays out in a lot of rom-coms. It's just so lovely here. Um, yeah. For Charlie, you're left. You leave that episode with so much hope after, after Charlie has such a negative response. Almost he gets a bit emotional. It's you leave the show with some so much hope. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any final thoughts about the episodes? It's just very uplifting towards the end, and um, it's it's a good sign of the times. That, that times are changing for young people, which is really good to see. It's it's improving. Yeah, I thought it was such a positive episode for kids to to feel, get that confidence to just realize that you know everything's okay and people do accept and there's no you know it's it's not Definitely. especially amongst I think children now, secondary school children you know. I think they, they know a child that, you know, is, is a boy on Friday and a girl on Monday and they just accept it and, and that's yeah. it. And that's the way it should be. Yeah, let's hope so anyway. Um, no, I do think. I think that definitely it's swaying over. Yeah. It's changing. The culture is changing in schools. Mm. Thanks so much, both of you, for coming on and for um, chatting with Thank us you. tonight about the episode Thank and about... You. Um, your own experiences it's very courageous to come on and share your lived experiences with the world and yeah i really appreciate it it's great um thanks so much to listeners for tuning in um we hope to see you again soon thanks all Jimmy. Right, thank we'll, you we'll see you soon bye. yes bye. Bye. bye bye if anyone wants to get in touch to share your own story um, or just to tell us what you think about um heartstopper or anything else at all you can reach out to the show at properfullongc at gmail.com if you live in the uk you can also text us on 88440 and start your message with pfogc next week i'm joined by molly from the proud trust and maria from car friend 
We chat our way through Heartstopper Chapter 4 and give you the lowdown on what it means to be an amazing ally for your queer friends. This has been a production of Shut Up and Listen in partnership with The Rainbow Project. Your hosts were Deirdre, Joe and me, Jamie. Follow us on social media at PropertfullOnGC. Learn more about our partners at PropertfullOnGayCrisis.com and discover our other hit shows at ShutUp.World.